Our Father, as we continue to listen to your word, we pray that you would give us grace to hear it rightly. Please, by your spirit, open our eyes, strengthen our hearts, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many from the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the people a Lord, uh, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak, you, speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. How do you know that the gospel is true? Uh, what is the basis of your certainty? Uh, last week uh, we saw that uh, uh, Luke writes to answer this very question. And uh, last week, he talked about the eyewitnesses. He talked about his own involvement uh, in the, uh, the advance of the gospel. In this passage, I think he shows us that we can know the gospel is true because of the Old Testament. Uh, Luke begins with uh, John the Baptist's parents. Uh, John the Baptist, who I, I guess for us can uh, seem like a sideshow. You know, we're so keen to get uh, to Jesus. But for each of the four gospels, uh, John is critical. In, in one sense, it is this, John is the climax of the Old Testament. In fact, later Jesus says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And in many ways, uh, this, uh, the first half of this passage in particular uh, reads like an Old Testament passage. 
or perhaps uh, it's, it's more like a, the, the best of the Old Testament or a compilation of the greatest hits from the Old Testament. You know, we have a righteous but childless couple. We have an angel. We have a priest sacrificing in the temple. We have a prophecy. We have a miraculous birth. And so the effect is not so much to, to point us to one particular kind of uh, text in the Old Testament, but to create an expectation that something dramatic is going to happen. Uh, generally, the, the, uh, the parts of the Old Testament that he's alluding to are passages, as we'll see, where God intervened dramatically. And for Luke, uh, Zechariah, and Elizabeth are representative of faithful, waiting Israel. He describes in verse 6 as righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of God. And that's a typical Old Testament description of a faithful Israelite. Think of Noah in Genesis 6. Think of Abraham, who God told, walk before me and be blameless and who's later described as having kept my commandments and my righteous requirements. And yet, righteous and blameless as they are, there's a deep tragedy in their lives. They're childless. That's a deep grief for any married couple, particularly for a couple who are, as Luke says in verse 7, uh, advanced in years. But in a context where children were seen as a, a blessing from God, that lack of children called that blessing into question. Uh, later, when Elizabeth does fall pregnant, she'll rejoice not just that God has granted her a son, but that he has taken her reproach away from among the people. As a couple, this righteous couple, they're a picture of the faithful remnant of Israel, waiting for the redemption of the nation, while they themselves experience grief shame and humiliation. But reading with our knowledge of the Old Testament, uh, when we read about a righteous, childless couple, we, we sort of know what's coming next. Uh, we remember Abraham and Sarah. We remember Isaac and Rebekah, Rachel, Hannah. We're expecting that a child will be born and that this child will be significant in the life of Israel. Well, the story continues. Zachariah is chosen to minister in the altar, and given the, the number of, of priests uh, in Israel at that time, that would have been something that probably only happened once or twice in his life. It was a very significant event in his life. And as he goes into the temple, we get this other picture of expectant Israel outside. Verse 10, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. It's this wonderful picture of, of kind of faithful Israel waiting, expectant. And while Zechariah is ministering in the temple, an angel appears to him. Zechariah is overcome with fear, but the angel comforts him, tells him not to be afraid, and tells him that he and Elizabeth will have a son whom they're to name uh, John. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Like his parents, John the Baptist is going to uh, exemplify righteous Israel. He's not going to give in to the corruption of the priests and the, even some of the prophets of the past. Uh, the, the reference to, uh, to wine and strong drink could be a reference to the Nazarite vow, but you know, there's no mention of hair, so it's more likely an echo of Moses' description of Israel. Uh, 
in the desert that they did not drink wine or other alcohol. In contrast to drinking wine and alcohol, John is to be filled with the spirit from his mother's womb. As we said, God's promise that this childless couple will have a baby points back to the Old Testament, points back to Sarah, to Hannah, uh, both of whom stand at turning points in Israel's history. And Luke is just showing us that uh, what is happening in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth is a similar turning point in redemptive history. God is going to intervene in a miraculous manner, as he's done in the past. He's going to give life, new life, to this couple who themselves are near death. Uh, When Paul reflects on Abraham and Sarah, he describes God as the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that are not. That's what God is going to do for Elizabeth and Zechariah. It's what he's going to do for Israel. And wonderfully, in contrast to many of the prophets in the Old Testament, John's mission will be a success. Verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John will cause many to turn back to the Lord. He'll prepare a people for the coming of the Lord Jesus. In a passage that's full of Old Testament allusions, here we have a more specific reference to Malachi 4. And Malachi 4 speaks of an Elijah figure coming to an Israel full of arrogant, sinful, and wicked people. And Elijah's task is to bring about transformation among that people. And at this point, as we think about that Old Testament reference, we kind of think, well, why why does John need to do that? It seems odd that John is coming to Israel at this time. We've just read that a about a couple who are righteous before God. They're walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of God. We've read about a people, the multitude of the people, expectantly waiting outside the temple as the sacrifice is performed. Everything that we've read so far is a picture of spiritual health. Why does John need to come and turn people back to the Lord? But it's what happens next that shows us that all is not well in Israel. And Zechariah, in particular, gives us a different picture of Israel at this time. Externally righteous, maybe, but tired, barren, unbelieving, and unable to speak the word. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. How can I know the gospel is true? How can I know that this good news is true? In many ways, Zachariah's question is the mirror of chapter 1, verse 4. Luke has written to Theophilus that he might have certainty. He might know certainty concerning the things that he has been taught. Here, Zachariah challenges the, the angel. How can I know what you say is true? I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. How can we know what you're saying is true? And so Zechariah at this point exemplifies an Israel that does not believe the gospel. If Zechariah cannot believe that God is able to miraculously give a baby to his wife, advanced in years as she is, well, then he does not believe the scriptures and he does not believe 
the power of God. It's not as if Zachariah is just having a, a kind of wobble in his faith, a, a moment of doubt, uh, perhaps because he's so overjoyed at the news that he's heard. His question reflects a heart that disbelieves. How can I know, and here's the reason that I'm doubtful, because I'm old and my wife is advanced in years. But what's more, as a priest in the temple at this point, he represents Israel. This is not simply a private failure, but a public act of disbelief. Uh, the angel is bringing the gospel to Zechariah, good news, and Zechariah is questioning it. He's representing a people in rejecting the gospel. And so, verse 20, you'll be silent, unable to speak, until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah's a priest. He knows the Old Testament. He knows uh, uh, that God parted the seas at the Exodus, that he brought Israel into the promised land. He knows the miracles of Elijah and Elisha. And more importantly, he knows the stories of Sarah and Rachel and Hannah. Not only is what the angel promises not too difficult for God, but it's something that God has done in the past. If Zechariah can't believe this, how will he believe when God raises Jesus from the dead? Zachariah's lack of faith in the gospel mediated by an angel is culpable. And so he'll be unable to speak. He won't be able to perform uh, the, the ironic blessing that uh, people would have expected when he exited the temple. And he's a sad picture of faithless Israel, mute before the world, not bringing the blessing that Israel was designed uh, to do. I think what Luke is doing in this passage here is he's setting up two key themes uh, for his gospel. Uh, the first is that what he is going to write about is in many ways a continuation of the Old Testament. Even the language uh, reflects this. The, the Greek of the, the prologue is difficult. You can ask the second years about it. It's, it's almost classical in style. Uh, but the rest of the, the first two, two chapters reads like the Greek of the Septuagint. And the Israel at the start of uh, Luke is very much the Israel at the end of the Old Testament, mixed at best, externally, outwardly righteous, but unbelieving and not mediating God's blessing to the world. Exactly like Paul uh, described himself in Philippians 3, blameless, but unbelieving. But secondly, I think Luke wants to ground the truth of the gospel in the Old Testament. How do you know the gospel is true? Well, the Old Testament. That Zachariah's reaction, we said, is a model of unbelief. And it's met with a firm rebuke because he should have known better. He's a priest sacrificing at the altar in the temple, and an angel appears to him to tell him that his wife will have a child. And he asks how he can know, how he can be certain. You know, read the room, Zachariah. You've seen this before. What more do you need? If the application of last week's sermon was read Luke's gospel, I guess the application of this uh, week's sermon is read the Old Testament. <laughs> uh, Luke has written his gospel so that Theophilus can be certain of what he has been taught. And our passage shows us that he, that we, can be certain of the truth of the gospel because of the Old Testament. Uh, at the end of the gospel, when Jesus is with uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he rebukes them in a very similar way to how the angel rebukes Zechariah. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets 
have spoken. If you believed the prophets, you would believe the gospel. And in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, he reverses it. If you don't believe the prophets, you won't believe the gospel. Uh, the, uh, uh, the rich man is told that his brothers, if they don't hear uh, Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone rises from the dead. God has shown himself across history, across scripture, that he is the God who can bring life from death. He can bring life to a barren womb. He can bring life to the dead. At John's miraculous birth, just like the birth of Isaac, points forward to the resurrection. And so even though the resurrection of Jesus is an utterly unique event, it is not a surprising one. Why can I know the gospel is true? Well, I can know it because of the eyewitness accounts. But I also know it because what they saw is exactly what God said they would see. And because God has shown many times that he has the power to bring life from the dead. And wonderfully, this gospel is it's true, but it's not just true. It is a message of joy. Many will rejoice at the birth of John. How much more will many rejoice at the birth of Jesus? And it's a message of grace. Zechariah is punished, but God keeps his promise. And John is born. Zechariah's speech returns. Elizabeth's reproach is removed. The gospel, the angel announces, it's true. It's one that brings joy, transformation, one that removes shame and reproach one that brings resurrection. And we can know, we can know, we can know, we can know that it is true. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Luke's gospel. Uh, we thank you uh, that as he writes, he writes to give certainty. And we thank you that as we read this first passage, uh, we see how that certainty is grounded in how you've acted throughout the scriptures. We praise you that you have the power to give new life. You have the power to raise the dead. Our Father, we pray that um, we would be those who, uh, from our confidence in the truth of the gospel, that would overflow in our lives as we believe it and as we point others to it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.